0: Hello again and welcome back to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis and Clark. This week we're absolutely delighted to welcome another special guest onto the show. As always if you see it on Instagram at A Wee Bit of Everything podcast or Twitter at Burrell underscore mister or at Cleland Lewis 94 we would be awfully grateful if you could give us a like or a retweet. Again just to help us get the podcast out there so that others can get this content as well. We've got a An exciting guest on this week's episode of the podcast, on to talk to us about all things cooperative learning. But as usual, I'll let Clark introduce the guest. So, who have we got on for us today, Mr Burrow?
1: Right, Um, welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything. We're welcoming Dr Ash Casey from Loughborough University onto the show. He's going to talk about cooperative learning within the PE context. A wee bit about Ash before he comes on. He completed a Bachelor of Science in Sports Studies at the London Institute of Higher Education from 1990 to 1993. Shortly after that he completed a Graduate Certificate in Education at Brunel University College from 1995 to 1996. On graduating he taught in a secondary school in Yorkshire for 13 years and he also took up a postgraduate study in 2002 when he started a part-time Masters in Physical Education. Ash is currently a Programme Director of the Master's Programme um, for Physical Education. He's also very vibrant on social media and you'll find him on Twitter at Dr. Ash Casey. He also writes and presents on a blog focused on translating research into practice. We'll hopefully hear about how he bridges the gap between research and practice today. So we're really looking forward to having him on and I think we should just get this one started, Lewis. What do you think, young man?
0: Absolutely, looking forward to it as much as you are, my friend. Let's get Dr Ash Casey onto the show.
1: Right, hi Ash, how are you doing? Welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast. It's been great to to have you on today. Thanks for the invite.
2: I'm looking forward to seeing how I can answer some of these questions and, and help really.
1: Yeah, we're kind of talking off air there about your, your blog and you're on over 400 blogs i think that's a great idea where you're getting pre-service teachers in as well to reflect on the practice and then on the content that you're putting out there so you're doing some great things
2: well thanks very much yeah it's just uh it's an idea i, I came up with uh well many years ago um and uh yeah i've just kept doing it and uh you know it's just a way of uh, engaging teachers and pre-service teachers in in research and uh, it keeps my habit means i'm reading papers i wouldn't normally read I'm, I'm getting a broader notion of the of the field i also get to practice my writing which is quite important in in what i do in in, in simplifying ideas and putting them out there so yeah it's it's good and you know thanks again for the invite
1: no it's a pleasure um as you say it's, it's trying to bridge that gap between research and practice um and hopefully we can do that tonight as well with some of the questions that we've got all going well. Um, so thanks again for joining to share your your expertise around sh- uh, the Student Centre pedagogy, such as cooperative learning, that hopefully we'll focus on tonight, uh, today even. So before we get into the sort of main part of the question, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your career today? I only touched on the main points in the introduction.
2: Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think the, the thing that I always acknowledge is that I was a I was a, a fairly average te- teacher. teacher. I, I think I engaged with my students really well, but I taught in a very traditional way. Um, I didn't realize, really realise there was another way of, do, of, of doing it. Um, I was quite command style, just do as I did. We did the traditional sports in, in when I was a kid at school. I took that through into my teaching career. I was quite didactic, quite command style. Um, and that's just the way it happened. And then, for some reason, I know the reason, but kind of <laughs> I, I, I
3: suddenly decided that I'd go and do a master's degree. Um, I was one of these people who didn't excel at school. Um, um, I make a joke. It's not a joke. It's the truth. But I make a joke with the
2: training teachers at L- L- Loughborough that I've got the lowest A-level grades in the room, and I got rejected from the course that they're now they're now studying on. So uh, it wasn't really for me. Um, but in my early thir- thirties, I decided to do a master's degree. I turned up to the first my module. I didn't even know how to sign up for more, um, and it went rather well. Um, and uh, the masters led to a PhD and, and during the masters and the PhD I was looking at um, alternative ways of teaching um, and actually my, my PhD was a, an action research self-study looking at pedagogical change so me moving away from being um, you know a, a do-as-I-say teacher to a student-centered teacher uh, particularly using cooperative learning sport education and teaching gains for understanding um, and since moving to higher education in 2010, I've just kept that interest up. So I'm really interested in models-based practice uh, as a way of constructing the curriculum using different pedagogical models, uh, but also in developing cooperative learning, particularly to be even more student-centered and, and kind of change the way we think about it. So. Um, and now I teach teachers. I have done for the last um, five years. So I'm on the teacher education programme at Loughborough. Um, funny enough, they learn about models-based practice and cooperative learning. Um, and so hopefully they can take it out into the field. So it's great to be involved in this podcast. And,
1: you know, hopefully
2: I can help people think about how they might take on these approaches themselves. Yeah, we've
1: um, had a lot of student teachers as um, probationers engaging in the podcast in recent weeks. So we're hoping that it uh, continues and I'm sure they'll take a lot from this. You, you covered a broad range there of model based practices, uh, such as cooperative learning, teaching games for understanding and sport education model. Can we focus maybe more on the cooperative learning for this next question? And myself and Lewis are very passionate about this model of teaching because we can see the benefits that, that um, it can bring pupils in terms of taking responsibility for their own learning. Um, Could you maybe elaborate a bit further on the vision and principles behind high-quality cooperative learning within PE?
2: Yeah. um, So David Kirk and I um, recently suggested that most pedagogical models have a main idea, some critical elements and some learning aspirations and different pedagogical approaches. So if I kind of apply that to cooperative learning, then the main idea is that, that young people learn with for from and there's a buy-in there as well i can we a bit wrong <laughs> each other so the idea is that they're you know they're learning about how to do things from each other they're interacting with each other and the ways that they do that are really really important um, so it, it's a move away from you know stopping a lesson i guess because somebody does a really good set shot or scores a really good goal um to stopping a lesson because somebody looks after somebody else and, and kind of works with them and, and helps them to develop and in helping them to develop they help themselves to develop mm-hmm. um, and the critical elements in cooperative learning there's there's five that have come through from um sort of mainstream education that have been you know well embedded in in, in cooperative learning in pe um, and they come from the work of uh, johnson and johnson um, the first one of those is positive interdependence. So, in order for um, young people to be working cooperatively, they need to be interdependent in a good way on one another. So, they shouldn't be able to complete a task unless other people in their group complete, complete their tasks as well. And the idea for that is to get away from this, this, this stigma, I guess, that we have in group work of somebody carrying all the weight somebody else and everybody getting the same outcome so there should be no way really incorruptible in completing a task unless everybody contributes so you get away from this notion of ghosting or social loafing where people take advantage of other people's determination to do well and get a good a good grade um so that they basically carry others so we, we're trying to move away from that and in order to do that the students need to be um individually accountable so there has to be a point where the individual's work and contribution is important and is valued. Um, so to the degree that they have to do it. So those two things fit together really, really well. So positive independence and individual
1: accountability. I suppose that comes um, in then, like sort of knowing, knowing your class then and making sure that you pair them up or put them into groups depending on their skill sets and their prior knowledge. Would that be right in saying that? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, and you know, I've. <laughs> um, I'll share the link with you, but over lockdown, the first thing, I recorded some 30 short videos on how to use cooperative learning. They're about four or five minutes long, and they're just how to pick groups, how to how to get independence, how to get accountability, those sorts of processes. So I'll share the link with you for that. It's on a YouTube channel. It's open for anybody, so people can do what they want. But, you know, one of the skills is how do you break up groups? So you're looking for groups of four or five, um you're trying to keep good friends apart actually because they can break up the group dynamics obviously you're trying to keep sworn enemies apart because you know they tend to focus on um on each other and and, and not getting along r- rather than um you know f- being able to focus on the task in the group so um it's about you know it's about how to deal with uneven numbers it's about how to deal with you know uh, more boys than girls and and those sorts of things so it's there you know it's not a simple process of, of literally dividing the group you need to miss an informed decision around how to best get these in, you know, individuals to work together as a team and it does mean valuing the group's work over the individual's work although the individual again has to be accountable for what they do but the other elements in cooperative learning or critical elements in cooperative learning are uh, promoted face-to-face interaction um, small group and interpersonal skills and group processing. And the, fir- the, the first two of those are how young people learn to work with each other. So it's getting those skills of, of interacting in a good way of, of you know um, negotiating conflict, negotiating disagreements, um, you know, basically getting in each other's faces in a good way to support and help each other uh, and be able to solve their own problems. And the final one is group processing. So that's a chance to sit down and think about and reflect on what's actually happening. Um, so I tend to do that in kind of a,
3: a past, present, and future way. So I tend to ask ask three questions. Uh, and that's kind of, tell me about what happened in the lesson or in the event.
2: Um, so what, what do you learn from that? Um, you know, how does that help you? And then now what is, what do you do next to move forward to develop that process? So I found those sorts of questions work really, really, really really, really well. Just generally as a form of reflection, Mm we use them on the PGC course here now uh, after lessons to get training teachers to to think about how the lesson went. So what happened? So what now, now, what But works really well in a cooperative learning environment as well to get the young people to think about what
1: they need to do going forward based upon what they've already done yeah I really like that um, we're quite big on that and the podcast is taking stuff that's actionable and strategies that you can go and implement straight away so I'm sure that could be definitely implemented on Monday when we go back to online learning so thanks for sharing that um, it was kind of coming back to me there with one of my university essays on social constructivism um, and who is it? Is it Vygotsky was it Vygotsky is that right am I saying that right he was one yeah. of the pioneers wasn't he of cooperative learning so that was all coming back to me there but no thanks for um going well, on I'm the, just gonna, i mean
2: the, the main protagonist in, in in cooperative learning is a guy called kurt lemon um who was working um with a guy called deutsch uh, in it and one of his research students on something called social independence theory right so while, you know, uh, social constructivism is kind of building on prime knowledge, this was the ways in which people can be interdependent. And you can be positively independent, mutually mutually dependent or negatively dependent. Um, and what we're looking for really in cooperative learning is that positive interdependence. So that um, that's what is valued in, in in this space. So, you know, that's that's a real, you know, really at the heart of what, what it is. And interestingly, well, interesting to me as a researcher, um, Levin was also one of the first people to coin the phrase action research, so he sits quite squarely within that. Uh, but then some of the work of John Dewey as well around experiential learning is also relevant um, you know, as a theoretical background. But you know, the idea is that we want kids to work with each other, help each other, and, and see everybody's success as being meaningful to them and, and their own success.
1: So in terms of them taking control of their own and making sure they work well with others has been the sort of key aspect elements of this. What does it mean for a practice then in terms of setting tasks? Have you got any examples that stick in your mind? I know you spoke about your short videos that you've got. Would you have any examples where it's been really successful in any of your lessons or working with the students at the uni? Yeah, I
2: I actually find that the I found that the best way of learning and teaching the way I teach cooperative learning is through something called Jigsaw. Because or to me, is a really good way of, of um, getting hold of all the five elements. Um, there have been lots of examples of people using this. Um, in PE, um, Jorge Rodriguez uses it. in um, It's now in Saudi. but He does quite a lot of it. Joey Fife has done some in Canada. There's some really good examples, Joe, Joe Bailey in the U.S., of using this within practice. And... Well, it basically works on the, the theory that you you put kids together in, in what we call home groups. So let's imagine there's, there's sixteen kids in our class quite, you know, quite nicely. There's eight boys and eight girls, and, and it all works really nicely. They're all of, you know, mixed ability and, and you divide them into four um, heterogeneous teams, so
3: teams that are, you know, equal in terms of you know, gender, ethnicity. In the case of in this one, and they're their home groups, and that's that's the group that they're going to eventually work in. Um, and we'll number those groups
2: one through four. Um, but then we want to create that the that, that kind of level of, of um, positive independence and in individual account 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 accountability. So we create expert groups. So each of those groups then gets subdivided into student A, B, C, D. Uh, and that happens in all the groups. And then all the A's go and stand together and all the B's go and stand together, the C's and the D's. And okay. Now you've got four new groups and those four new groups are called expert groups. And it's got one member of each of the home groups in that, um, mm-hmm. in that group. Um, and an example from my own classroom using that is we then went on to make um, a gymnastics routine. So each of those four groups working in in different areas had to create um, an eight to 12 movement routine, um, which was individual to them. One group had a bench, one group had a box, one group had just mats and another group had ropes. And they had to make some form of routine around that piece of equipment. Uh, After two or three lessons of making this routine, they then go back to their home groups and one person understands the rope routine, one person understands the bench routine, and they have to teach everybody else in their group. So they're positively independent because they have to rely on the other people within that group and they're individually accountable because they have to take that knowledge with them to teach to the rest of the group. Then they teach, then they teach the, the routine and we put it together. So then they have to eventually perform the routine. So it goes group one, no, sorry, expertise A. B, C and D so you get a long routine and they should all be identical but they won't be obviously because kids will make adaptions and they're encouraged to do with young people who can't manage the skills in the way that they define
3: or indeed with, with individuals who can do more so along it's along the same theme, they can do more I asked the experts to grade that so the experts so the AEs who are responsible for the bench
2: would grade that aspect of the, the routine to help me to understand how, how that worked. And within that, they're engaging in group processing, and reflecting on what they've done, they're engaging in, in, in promoted face to face interaction and, um, and small group and interpersonal skills and learning how to learn how to not only to develop the routine, but then to teach the routine to other people. There's always a you know a phone of friend option. So if one one expert was away or one expert found it quite difficult to teach they could call another expert across from the group to help them with a certain move or whatever and that was that has proven to be a really good way of, of, te- of teaching um cooperative learning generally in terms of understanding you know the five critical elements but also you know Allowing the kids to live the curriculum in that sort of way to understand how the the approach works, um, and I've used Jigsaw in in multiple ways We do it. Develop tag games. Um, people do dance routines. People have done you know um, parkour where they've gone they've learned specific skills and then taught then taught them to to each other. So you know that's a classic example to me in terms of how you might immediately go away and use this this process. I mean- and equally, you could do it. I could see it happening online where the groups, you know, somebody was, you know, they could meet as home groups and expert groups, and, and the expert groups could be responsible for developing a particular understanding about a particular piece of work and then teaching it to the rest of the groups. That's how it's come out of mainstream teaching and come into um, physical education.
0: With one of my, um, that, the jigsaw um, cooperative learning method you were talking about there, I used it to create a training session. So I got them into like their groups of four. I think it was either groups of four or five. And um like did the thing that he said. So gave them a number, one, two, three, four, five. And then put them into their expert groups. And they all had, in their expert groups, they all had to go in. So one of them would have to create the warm-up. The other one would have to create practice one, practice two, cool down, um, for example. Um, and then bring it back. And they had to teach each other in the group and then go through the training session. But my only reflection on that was I tried to do it in a, a single period. So. Um, Having a wee bit more time would have would have worked out nicely for me because we only have forty five minute periods at our school. But I felt it was such a it worked a treat, and we got through um, the teaching parts. They managed to come back to their group and teach each other each part of the training session, um, and I thought it worked really well in terms of engaging them that way. And obviously, me being able to take a step back and them almost teaching themselves it because I just kind of put task cards up for each thing that they had to try and learn. So how to do a warm up, and they just had to create it within their expert groups. Um, I felt yeah, it. I thought it went last so.
2: This can be really useful with different age groups as well. Um, is the types of questions you ask them? If you ask them very close questions, so you can either so your options are A or B, then it's much simpler to do because they're they've got limited choice. The broader you go, the more challenging it is so uh,
3: we run a i run a sport education season in a day at loughborough when we're on the the p- day and the day before that we run a games making session we, and i've used this for jigsaw so
2: they they go away and, and their one group is one part of the group is responsible for um the boundaries of the pitch one one group is responsible for the way that you travel, it's either TIG tag or stuck in the mud or whatever you call it. There's lots of ways of calling it, but um, um, and then they bring these things all together. So how to so it's how to move. It's how to um, how to be how to be stopped. I and mean. Tigged how to be on what you have to do when you're um, when you're in that process because I don't want somebody just stood around. So I've had some brutal words where my students have come and say, well, "Well, while you're being tagged, you have to do you have to plank or you have to do squats or you have to do jump squats or bur, 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 burpees." And they change that after the first iteration; it's too hard. But um, and then they go through it and they put it all together and it doesn't work. But then they have to use all the all the elements to make it work. Um, and then it's that process of negotiation that's really, really useful as well. But the when you say define the pitch, that's much broader than you can have a square, a triangle, a circle, a donut. So again, you can limit the choices depending on the age of the students and how much
3: time you've got involved.
1: Sounds like a good way to Get them interacting in a positive way, as you said earlier. Uh, h- how did you allocate the experts once they're in their home groups? Is that just based on your judgment on who you think could do it? Or...
3: I mean, you can tell. I mean, you can do it in many ways. So you could you could
2: predefine the expertise so that the expert groups were heterogeneous as well. So you could go down to the level of planning where you would say, right, this is your home group and this is your expertise so there is um there is a, a process of a of, of limit you know you limit the choices again what i tend to do is i spend a lot of time on making sure that the expert groups are the same no sorry the the home groups are heterogeneous but then allow them the freedom of choice to move mm-hmm. Um, of course, what you could end up with having spent a huge amount of time keeping best friends and worst enemies apart is they end up going to the expert group and being in that stage. So if, if you're in a situation where you have that kind of dynamic where you, there are certain people who cannot work together, then you would have to be quite careful in terms of how you allocated those expert groups. So. But the important thing in all these things is that the teacher, you're the expert in your school, in your local context, and, and all these processes are adaptable based upon what you know and understand. And it's really important that, that, that that's the case, is that there is no such thing as cooperative learning. It's not a thing that you can do. It's an idea that you have to engage with and understand and then you have to apply to your local context. And the way that all three of us apply it would be different and, and that's absolutely fine as long as we kind of keeping with the with the main ideas that it's the it's the learners that are important um yeah. not necessarily the subject matter is as important because it's the it's those social dynamics and those interactions that are important and not necessarily as much importance is put on skill acquisition or um, knowledge
1: development in that respect because the the, the, the learning is wider than that mm-hmm. yeah, I always remember um, a lecturer I don't know if you know him from Strathclyde University Strait, Forsyth, he told me that when you teach like command style A you're only limiting the pupils to what you know um, whereas if you go more uh, student centred like cooperative learning you're then opening up to the possibility of them learning from each other so thanks for sharing that strategy of jigsaw and i'm sure that's something that we can uh, experiment with online as you said as well so thanks for that
0: yeah i think that's another kind of actionable thing that can be taken away from the podcast based on your kind of instruction there on how you or how they set up the gymnastics based one Um there seems to be a lot of other variables that you can take with it, applying it to different sports and like you say, dance routines fitness routines things like that so uh, it's just applying the principles and then setting it to your local context like you said Um, Moving on to kind of the the current climate with online learning then, Ash, have you seen any successful cooperative learning tasks being carried out virtually um, with pupils?
2: Uh, I haven't myself, no. Um, I I mean, we've had to change the way that we do um, your school visits. They've gone virtual. Um, It's a case of... You know trying to see how they're doing and talking to mentors so I haven't um actually seen any and, and none have come across by um my twitter feed or 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 anything so you know I can't give you any specific examples but i we talked about this in I talked about this in, in phase one I can see this being a really useful way of doing it so you're allocating tasks um, I think it's really important that we that we um collectively and individually realize that Physical education is not necessarily physical activity. And I'm not gonna go down a Joe Wicks discussion here. Um,
3: But um, I do think we need to think of the other things that that are are for physical education, the aspirations that we have for it. So I could really see,
2: you know, ways of doing a a longer term unit of work where, where kids are engaging in cooperative tasks um i mean i've just started so we uh, i
3: don't
2: know if this will come out before we start we start teaching again but i'm going to do some work with the loughborough students uh online uh they're going to do some games making um when i'm going to ask them to use some what we call self-made materials so get some recycling have a look at plastic bottles and uh milk jugs and, and and uh uh, Amazon delivery boxes, which I'm sure they've had plentiful of over <laughs> lockdown, and see if they can turn this into equipment. Yeah. So, sorry?
1: That's a great idea.
2: Sustainability.
1: But then see what
2: sort of games that they can develop that they can then teach each other mm-hmm. just to get a sense of... Um, it's been a real challenge with phys ed and and, and I've talked to lots of teachers and it's an exhausting time and hats off to them and they're teaching...
0: That's, that's given me an um, idea basically. for my um, for my younger pupils for like my S one to S threes. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think they would engage with that, particularly S ones, they would yeah. I think they would buzz exactly. off. It.
2: And it's just, you know, it's what equipment and you know you can make a hoop look, you know, a hoop quite easily. It's a it's a box, you draw two circles, you cut it out, you draw two or three more circles, you stick them together, you wrap them together with insulation tape, and you've got a, a hoop. Now what yeah. can you do with that hoop? Can you throw it over a bottle or can you so some of it is, you know, one of the questions I was asked early on is, or I saw on uh, on Twitter, was I'm supposed to be te- 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 teaching hockey. How can I do hockey skills? And, and I nearly responded and said, well, get them to make a hockey stick. Um, <laughs> but you could make you could make a one-handed hockey stick from cardboard strapped together, and you could, if you really wanted to, you could learn some of those skills. Yeah. So you're actually looking at the manipulation and and, and those sorts of attributes but I could see that being quite good as a cooperative learning task. So um, uh, I, one of the, the kind of um, structures of cooperative learning I use all the time is something called, I think we think. Right. And the idea of I think we think is it allows time for individuals to give a response. If I set a task and say, right, you've got 10 minutes to come up with a design for a, a one-handed hockey stick. They go away and they, they come up with their idea and then bring the group together and say, right, just, you've got to present your idea to the rest of the group, right? Okay, so which is the best idea? And where, what examples can you take from the other ideas that allow you to develop that single idea? Right, now go and, now go and make your hockey stick. Um, okay, now go and develop a game to play with a hockey stick. And I think requires, so if we did and I think, all three of us would go away and come up with a solution and then we come back together and we'd think about what was the best solution. You could do that on multiple stages and then they could present it as a group to the rest of the class. So there's an example of, off the cuff slightly, of, of how you might develop um, a cooperative learning unit that also uses self-made materials and requires the students to be positively independent and
3: individually account- accountable. So if I go away for 10 minutes but don't come back with the design, um, then
2: I haven't fulfilled my part of the, the, the bargain. But because two other people, you two are both doing it, then at least we have some response. We're not coming back as a group with, with nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, as a teacher, I could provide designs as well, which I could provide to groups who couldn't think or designs to groups who didn't do particularly well. So I'm still scaffolding and supporting their learning.
0: Yeah. I think um that's also a very very inclusive idea as well. Like everybody can get involved in that because you don't need any fancy equipment or anything. I think that's a really fantastic idea. Um and that's aye, that's food for thought for sure. And it's also about I think it's also teaching them other things like um there's always a way around about something like it's just being super adaptable in the the current climate that we're in as well. Like you don't need all this fancy equipment. Like I've seen people doing all these different Absolutely. I mean you can and, make a
2: you can make a badminton racket with you know, you make it, you know, reinforce it and you can put a plastic bag in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, you can put a balaclava or a, a hat or a pair of tights or something and you create that kind of surface that's like, slight, slightly springy. You're not going to yeah. stick a, anything through through a window. You can create yeah. a shuttlecock by rolling up a series of balls and then attaching another bag to it. It will actually fly like, uh, really well. So you've yeah. got yourself self-made materials, which become
0: part of the lesson. Yeah, I don't advise doing but, the, the keepy-uppy challenge with a, a toilet roll. I took my, my bedroom light out with it in <laughs> my first attempt. So <laughs> I, that seems a bit more uh, house-friendly.
1: I suppose that's good. Yeah. It's good. It's good to teaching them to be resourceful, isn't it, and make the most of what's round about them. It's great. Absolutely. Right,
0: so uh, cooperative learning or learning any new sort of teaching method or trying something different in your practice can be quite daunting for some people because of uh, uh, maybe passing over the control to the lesson to the pupils. What, or How do you think we can break down the barriers so more teachers can engage in this type of pedagogical model? Yeah, I think there's an there's
2: a, the assumption that if I change the way that I teach, I have to take I have to do, that. it's like the full monty, I have to do absolutely everything. It's an all or nothing move. And then it becomes quite daunting because you feel quite exposed. You're a beginner again. You're uncertain about how it works. But you don't, you don't learn a language that way. And I use that, um, that really importantly. I kind of phrase in my PhD called pedagogical fluency. Um, and this came from a conversation with a with a, a friend of mine who was a French tutor teacher. She's a French national. Uh, her English was flawless. Um, and I said to her one day, "When did you realise that you were fluent in French?" And she said, "When I started." Sorry, she knew she was fluent in French phrases. ages, fluent in um, in in um, in English." She said, "When I started to think in English." And I applied that same
3: premise to the pedagogical models or, or different approaches. So. When did I know to think in cooperative learning? Well, how did I start? Well, I started with kind of command style. I made worksheets. I made sure I laid down everything
2: I wanted them to do. And then I transferred that into the lesson. And over time, I didn't need that scaffolding because I could think in that way. But that scaffolding was really, really important in the first instance. Um, And I think it's really important with this that you maybe buy off buy off a couple of right. I want the kids to be positively interdependent. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to really try to get that in my lesson. So I'm going to take a little step forwards now. So I'm beginning to adopt some of the model. And then over time you can begin to adapt more elements of it to kind of bring that together. But it's really important, I mean I've just I wrote this in in the blog I wrote today actually is that When we're learning to teach in a new way, kids are learning to learn in a new way. It's really important that we remember that. and We help them to understand how the lesson works and what it is that they have to do. Because they know how to learn in school at the moment. Um, And it tends to be they sit in rows and they answer questions. At the moment, they know how to learn because they, they listen to a... pre-recorded powerpoint or they they sit in a live lesson they don't turn the cameras on and they don't answer any questions um so and that's a challenge so but they know how to learn when you change that dynamic it becomes quite difficult and i suggest that's some of the reasons why kids haven't turned on cameras not the only reason but it might be part of the reason it's very new to them they don't know how to learn in this space they're quite vulnerable and when you're changing the way that you teach, they're quite vulnerable as well. So you're vulnerable and they're vulnerable. Everyone's feeling you know, a little bit timid. So you go back to how it always went. But if it's a good idea, it's persevere with it. So that's kind of, the, it's, that, it's that process of gradual change.
0: That's been kind of, yeah, one, of so one of the common themes as well. On you go. Sorry. I said, that's been one of the kind of common themes as well. So we had um, a, a woman on speaking about um, Practitioner inquiry, and it was kind of—it's all about. Ta- it doesn't need to be something absolutely huge and overwhelming on top of what you're doing. It's just about taking those small steps. It doesn't need to be something absolutely massive for it to be effective for you to practice it and get better at it. Uh,
1: you might know. her uh, uh, it, it was Professor Kate Wall, you might know her from Strathclyde University, no? Uh, I am not sure.
2: I, I'm not sure I do. I have been up to Strathclyde. I've got my my. A friend, friend of mine, David Kirk, that was struck by it, obviously,
1: and Cara Lamb as well. Is uh, I do, I do. was my um, master's dissertation supervisor. We had him on as well a couple of weeks ago, talking about um, precarity and the kind of impact on children's mental health during COVID. Which was... So
2: David was my PhD supervisor, so there we go.
1: Was he? There you does go.
2: Mean, does that mean we're cousins or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'll would, I would, I would just
0: leave just now then. Yeah, that's That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> just different levels, Louis. <laughs> I know, absolutely. <laughs> no, I was going to say something there. Um, what was it?
0: No, but absolutely, to answer
2: the question, Clark is that? Um, yeah, it's a, and, and Lewis as well. It, it's little things. If we make it a big thing, it becomes a big thing, and and when it doesn't work, it's easy to drop it. Yeah. And it's a little thing, it's a it's a habit, it's a change of, of something we want to do, then we can work on it gradually. Um you know, people ask me how do I, you know, how do I adopt a models-based approach or how do I do this? And and they say we want to do it within the next six months, and I go, Well, you can't do it within the next six months. It's it's this is a this is a two, three year process, you know, in terms of developing. Um
0: I guess it's all about getting, like you said, it's getting the kids to learn that way as well. So they're not going to learn how to learn that way in one lesson. So it's about keep being consistent with it, I guess.
2: It's about valuing it as well. So it's one thing I've been turning to more and more is if if we're teaching cooperation, we need to value cooperation. Mm -hmm. So you need to stop a lesson because somebody does a really good bit of cooperation. Now, it sounds a bit a bit strange because normally as i said at the beginning you would stop them for an excellent layup or for you know you know a really good piece of knowledge but now, now we're looking for a you know a behavior and, and an interaction and we're praising them for that and we're valuing them and we're and it's in our assessments and, and all of those sorts of things so that you know these are important things and if we see them as important the kids see them as important it's like the work i mean i have conversations all the time worksheets worksheets are great if they're valued yeah but so many young teachers i work with spend ages making worksheets but then they don't refer to them in the lesson they don't value them they don't use them as feedback so what do the kids do they drop them on the floor and they ignore them Mm -hmm. at the end of the lesson they tick all the boxes they can and they hand them in but they haven't valued them and they haven't really become part of the lesson. So it's the same here. It's the same. If you're going to use these structures, then you need to value them. You need to praise them. You need to reward kids for being engaged in a positive way. And then they'll see them as valuable and they'll try engaging them themselves.
0: Yeah, not just paying lip service to actually stopping it. Like, when you, like you say, when you see a good bit of cooperation, then they see that, you are, that you're actually staying true to what your values are.
1: Yeah. So it's not so days, easy, right? especially being. Mm-hmm.
0: No, definitely. There's a, imagine... a, a thousand things going on at one time
1: really big life skill as well like that's how we learn and we cooperate with each other and I, don't, I think it's something that isn't really put enough emphasis on in schools so this is definitely a good way good vehicle to do it but talking about the I'm always conscious as well and I try a new model is try to do everything at once and it needs to be perfect or you're you worried that what the pupils are thinking of the lesson that they're not learning as much as what they normally would but I think it's that's good advice just taking it bit by bit. And no, really, I don't think the kids would, would notice if it wasn't going. You're always your own worst critic, I think, with, with teaching. And that's definitely something I. And one of the questions
2: I, I often get asked is which group would you use it with? Can I use it with this group or can I use it with this group? And one of my, I mean, the hard, some of the best teaching I did when I was using it, it was hard teaching, but it was best teaching. It was not with my best groups, it was with my worst groups. It was the groups who I really was struggling with in a traditional sense. Mm. Um, and a colleague of mine said, well, or a friend of mine, he wasn't a colleague at the school, but a friend of mine who was a teacher, English teacher, a teacher, actually, turned around and said, well, why are you only doing this with your good year seven? Why aren't you doing it with your difficult year tens?
1: Um, was behavior bad?
2: Yeah, it was the behaviour bad? Yeah. There was a couple of challenging individuals and, and you know, they, all they wanted to do was certain things. And, and, and so I, we took on, I took on a sport education approach in this regard. And it, was, it didn't go brilliantly. But it certainly went better than what I was doing with them before. And when we did it the next year, it was even better. But we, they hadn't engaged in the way that I was teaching them prior to that. So I think there can be a, you know, it's that definition of, of, um, of idiocy or whatever it is, is, you know, doing the same thing again and again and expect, expecting different results. Sometimes doing something differently it actually can't get much worse than it already is.
1: <laughs> so, I don't, I don't, I
2: don't. You know, try something that's uh, that's that's you know changing changing it up for them because they're not enjoying or they're not learning as way the way you want to in in, in the process. But it's hard teaching. And I think um, I come the it's hard the teaching teacher. anyway with groups like that. So,
1: I think that comes back to the mindset of the teacher to be brave enough to then try something different rather than just moaning about it and going down the behaviour policy and expecting doing the same thing, and expecting something different. Absolutely. Um, So before we move on to some of the common barriers, um, some of the common problems and who you see PE going uh, post-COVID, which is a million-dollar question, in terms of the listeners listening just now who are engaging in online learning, I know you didn't see any successful examples, but would you say there's still a place for cooperative learning in an online platform? Because I know I'm thinking myself like breakout rooms could be an option, but I don't know if that would work with... Is uh, secondary school pupils. I know it might be better with university students, but just to get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it might be, you know it's always a challenge to introduce something new when you're already introducing something new. Um, <laughs> so it's it is monitoring those spaces. So it's how do it's how do they interact? Um, so you know, I think you could look at individual accountability as a way you know make sure that you're you know we're holding kids accountable for the, the contributions that they're making but then trying to understand why they're not making them so that you know um, I know that there are there'll be kids in every year who are engaged in every lesson they're thriving they're, they just do what they normally do some kids are finding it really distracting to do other things um, I was reading a paper we were talking yesterday in my blog about um, the idea of slow thinking and fast thinking so that school is slow thinking while um the outside world is fast thinking Uh, and it must be quite hard when you're in a fast thinking environment trying to do some slow thinking Um, Mm -hmm. and we just kind of need to acknowledge that as well so how do we how do we support the students Um, so to me i i can see some you know the the, you know the self-made material stuff could be a really good way of doing it um trying to trying to reward kids for just having a go, um, you know. How do we celebrate them when they do answer a question? How do we, how do we, you know, encourage them to to, to make to make wrong, give wrong answers? And I think we can use some of the other things in in, in platforms like Teams where. You can get them to write answers in their own workbook. You can monitor it while they're going on and they're doing. They can be doing some. They can be following some tasks on a recorded lecture, but then responding in
3: real time. And you can be in that real time space, helping them to and looking at those interactions. Again, you know, breakout rooms could be
2: brilliant, but we need to monitor those breakout rooms. We need to go and help them to see to see what's happening, and we're going to need help. Help from the kids. Yeah. You know, how can we help? How can we encourage them to to value those interactions themselves? And it, you know, it is a challenging space to be learning online and to be adopting a new pedagogical approach. Mm. Uh, but I think there are certainly parts of um, cognitive learning that would be really valuable in this space. So teaching them about the you know face-to-face interaction. Well, we're face-to-face, but we're not in the same space. So it's it's how how Sheldon. this becomes.
0: You were Sorry. saying you've you've got a couple of teachers on for your national five clerk, eh? Hey, yeah. Past clerk, so maybe you could get obviously well, a couple of teachers to monitor the the breakout rooms. That could maybe be a solution.
1: <laughs> I, I, no, there's me and another teacher. So I, so one of us could. Um, I suppose it's just them taking responsibility, isn't it, and discussing it in their breakout rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you
2: sports it. leaders could go and do it. There are people there are people who could, you know, if the right environment could go and help you out. So
1: that's true. Yeah, they could help the, the the first years. That'd be a good idea, actually. There's always a way.
2: But it's a will there's a way. <laughs> Some of it's <laughs> imagination, is it? You know what it's like. Teaching is imagination. It's what yeah. can you think of and yeah. how can we help each other think? I think one of the big things you know, there was a hashtag going around in the first lockdown which was uh h hpe at home so health and pe at home mm-hmm. I, I still think you could search that hashtag and find some good examples of of the way people were thinking um you know I, i'll give a shout out there's lots of people doing that sort of thing I'd, I'd ask people to make sure that they credit them don't don't copy and paste and take other people people's ideas and, and just re- reach out and thank them for what they've done so you know that people don't want money they don't want anything else but they really don't want you know plagiarism but there are some really good ideas out there but equally there are not so good ideas mm-hmm. um, and what works in my school doesn't necessarily work in in um in your school so and what works with lewis doesn't necessarily work with clark or with ash so it's it's you know it's acknowledging your own infrastructure, your own microcosm, I guess, and, and how best you can you can utilise the ideas for the benefit of the kids you're working with.
1: Fantastic, but well, there's definitely been some good ideas so far in this podcast. Before we uh, move on to the final question, where do you see PE going post uh, COVID? Then,
2: is there where do I see it going, and where would I like it to go? Because I think that's uh, two different questions. Um, what I'd really like to see is um, is a reconsideration of what what the ambitions of PE are talked talk an awful lot about you know in lockdown about being physically active and welfare and, and, and um, those processes and I know I'd really like p to continue to think in those spaces It doesn't actually matter whether we beat the local high school by two goals to one or or whatever uh, what it, what it really above va- 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 value is that kids are able to have well meaningful experiences in PE um whatever that meaning is to them um now i remember teaching a, uh, a kid at school who who by the way that we taught PE was an absolute you know failed he, he he wasn't very good at the definitions of PE that we have reality is he's actually probably one of the most physically able kids i've ever taught i just didn't know it
3: mm-hmm.
2: the uh, professional dancer co- uh, choreographer absolutely brilliant, but in the way that we define P, he wasn't very good. So, you know, he didn't really have very many meaningful experiences. Um, so it's just acknowledging, you know, what P can do more broadly. Uh I, I don't want P to be seen as a break from 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 the academic life of the school. So I, I really like that to be something that comes out that we're advocating for our subjects and, and we're, you know, we're aware of the, the fantastic things that it can do in, in the different domains of learning um and we're able to kind of advocate for ourselves and um yeah celebrate the good things um mm-hmm. yeah that would sure, be really good i've sure. been to really good practices in, in lockdown and, and you know how do we facilitate that how do we help kids to be active um i argued recently in a in a my own podcast that you know p the ultimate aim of p is homework that actually, what we want is for young people to be working in working physically at home. So while we might not set homework, we do want them to be active outside of school. So, um, and that's what I guess the whole of lockdowns be about is how do we get them to value physical activity and, and movement and, and and you know well-being in in a time where they're in smaller spaces. And if we could take that out. And that would be an extract that we're still able to encourage kids to value it in that way, then I think it would be brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's a huge opportunity just now because there's so much screen time and sitting about and no interaction with our friends face-to-face that that walk or run during school time or at the end of the day can really, I'm sure there will be experiencing the benefits. Right. It can and ours <laughs> as well. Right? Like I just went to run before this podcast because I had to... Have a break.
2: I've got, we'll be going in the, in, I've been in the garage after this and my wife and I'll be doing yoga, which we've been doing um, since last March, on and off. But, you know, just trying to think about the different spaces and what we can do. And I think some of the problems we need to help kids to imagine what they can do. Because again, it's that notion, of what, what can you do in your own home and how can you continue to do that? How can you reimagine the space that is your bedroom or the garage or the garden? into a space where you can be physically
0: active I was in um I was in the school yesterday sorry Clark for doing my because we we're rotated in to go in our department had to go in for a couple of days this week Um, and we got the, the kids to do there was a, a live webinar not a live webinar it was like a live session we got emailed out to break you from the screen I did it with the kids and it was some Tai Chi and it was literally <laughs> like yeah, it was 10 minutes but it was just good to get the body moving and breathing sure then <laughs> yeah okay, I'll show you later <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
0: it, was, it was pretty straightforward, but it wasn't it? I thought it was going to be more kind of martial art types moves. Some was... some yoga. Aye, aye, summer not summer. as hard. No, wasn't as
1: hard as yoga. You do yoga with Adrian, aye, She's brilliant. Yoga with yeah. Adrian. We're the, the thirty day journey at the moment.
2: a breeze so Yeah. World day twenty.
1: I've not well done You're nearly there.
0: Yeah, Cassie, uh, my girlfriend's mum's doing that as well. The thirty days, and she she's actually bought the. The attire, so she's got the vest top that says breathe on it, yoga with Adrian. Oh, we've not got
1: that. Still time. Still time, exactly. (laughs) Um, It sounds as if a lot lot of what you've been saying, Ash, is is down to creativity from teachers and from from pupils. Um, And try to make the most of what we've got around about us throughout this podcast. So I'll definitely definitely take that away and uh, encourage my pupils to be as creative as possible. So, lastly, then, in your opinion, Ash, what makes a high-quality teacher in this current climate that we find ourselves in?
2: To me, it's reflectivity. It's it's the, the willingness to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I I find that um, yeah, self-honesty, honesty with others, is a is a really valuable thing, and we're all going to mess it up to be dishonest with ourselves we'll, we'll be dishonest with other people and um you know we'll make excuses and and but then it's acknowledging when it is actually a reason and not an excuse and, and looking after ourselves so um you know teachers work very very hard they're in really difficult positions they're in a really difficult position now and it's it's being realistic and sometimes that's that's finding that space just us to think about things i mean personally i write a reflective diary every day. For ten years, and and um, you know, it's something that is part of my. I've managed to get as part of my habits. Um, but you know, you can reflect in in, a, in physical activity. You can think about what you're doing, uh, and I think it's an acknowledgement that you know. I, you're never going to teach the perfect la-la lesson, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you're not, because you're going to miss somebody out and you're not going to do something and you're going to be reflective. But you shouldn't beat yourself up about that. You should be looking at ways that you could improve. But what physical education meant when I was at school in, you know, decades ago, 1980s, is very, is different to what it means now. You know, the, the process that we can go through, what I know, what the kids understand, what's happening is a different world. Um but reflecting on that and understanding it. So, you know, to me, that's that's the key ingredient, in, group, group ingredient. It's often talked about, you know, it's part of the teaching standards in England. You know, you, know, you, must, be a, you must be a reflective practitioner, but, you know, I think there's more than thinking about your teaching. It's a thinking about the impact of your teaching and the, the, the young people who are involved. And I think it's acknowledgement that what you teach one year seven class, um, I'm sorry, I don't know, the, the, the Scottish equivalent. I think s- it's
0: S1 or 18,
2: S2. S1 or
3: S2, exam miles off, S6 or s um, But it's one class is not... The last decades. <laughs> well, at least hmm. years. Um, and
2: what we taught last year, we teach this year, and is that is that the way it should be? And maybe it is, maybe it is you know your schools and you know your kids but it's reflecting on on all sorts of aspects in the way that we we develop um so yeah that would be to me the key ingredient i mean there's lots of other things Mm -hmm. you know personal interrelationship kids how you deal with kids how you respond to kids some Mm -hmm. people are loud some people are quiet it's there's no it's acknowledging that there is no one way of teaching we don't need stereotypes yeah we don't need uh you know
1: this is the way you
2: know, the loud shouting man or the you know loud shouting woman or whatever we need people who deal with things in different ways and we don't need mini me's or mini u's. we need us's and them's and and we need to
1: blend them together I guess so love that that would be some, some good points here um, be yourself be reflective and be honest and true to yourself thanks very much Ash that was really insightful and informative there um really enjoyed that uh, just before we move on to the quick fire round that lewis will take you through where can the listeners find you um find your blog and your social media yeah well
2: my uh my social media is uh, dr ash casey or Drush casey as my wife <laughs> likes to call me um um, and that's happened to be that i came onto social media in february 2010 having got my phd in january 2010 there was no way i wasn't going to stick doctor in front of everything so that's <laughs> why i have drash um, um the Peppern, which is p-e-p-r-n uh blog and podcast um www.peppin.com is the blog. If you do a search for Peppin as a pod, 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 podcast, then you'll find it's on Anchor, but it's available on Spotify. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I am.
0: Brilliant. Right, so at the end of every podcast then, Ash, I know I'm kind of conscious of the time here, and um, we've got a, a quick fire round of three questions that we ask all our guests. Yes, just for a wee bit of fun. So, number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown, what would it say on it? Be active. Be active. Love it. Short and sharp. What people or books have had the greatest influence on your life? If you could choose a couple, um, the
2: subtle art of not giving a F U C K. <laughs> um, is one of them. And I really found that book really interesting um, um, in terms of thinking about what to bother about. Um, so that would be, that was probably one that's that's been really, um, really significant at the moment uh, more recently. I read a book called The One Thing, uh, which is quite similar. It's what's the one thing you could do in the next 10, ten, 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 ten years you can have a stutter so you keep that in uh, the next 10 years um that would allow you to achieve your dreams um and then what's the thing you could what's the one thing you could do in the next five years to take yourself close to that in the next year in the next six months in the next month in the next week and i found that quite useful in kind of focusing on where i want it to be so where do i want to be in 10 to 10 years is that question you ever never, never get asked but it's breaking it down so that was quite that was quite a useful one and I read The Hobbit when I was nine, and then that really set me up for my entire reading career.
0: What was that, sorry? So,
2: the
0: Hobbit. Oh, The Hobbit. <laughs>
2: it's, uh, that's the genre of reading I tend
0: to do, so. Nice. Right, now that seems like uh, two really interesting books here that you spoke about. Can I, th- would that be the kind of self-help category then for the... Is it the, yeah, the business?
2: Yeah, the one thing's a bit businessy, but I think, I think
0: so. they're, but they're, they're inspiring, those kind of books, though. And I think there's always little nuggets of information that you can take and apply it to your own life. And it doesn't always necessarily need to be in your work, it can be in your personal life or absolutely, um, yeah. like your, your fitness or anything like that. So I think it's, um, I find those books really inspiring as well. So thanks for sharing that. It's made to
2: stick. It's a really interesting one
0: about how you get ideas to stick as
1: well. It's by the the Heath brothers. Right. Okay. you note
0: that down? What was the uh, you, you mentioned? You spoke a little about three Yeah, but they're, they're all starting to come back. Um, you mentioned a little about thinking fast and thinking slow. There's also a book about that. Um, I read some of that. I think it's Daniel Kahneman, um, and he spoke about that. So like the, the slow thinking yeah, okay, was. Okay. Oh, yeah
3: yeah.
0: Think, thinking fast and slow. Yeah, it was it was interesting uh, just to see how the how the your thoughts and your thinking works from that side of things, which is quite an interesting book. But anyway, moving on to the last one, what advice would you give to a teacher thinking of adopting more cooperative learning into their PE lessons? You kind of touched on that earlier a little bit, but is there anything else that you would?
2: It's take your time and 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 take the first step. And you don't have to rush into it. You don't have to do everything. But if you don't take that first step, then um it doesn't happen i've got a quote on my my board here which is martin luther king that says you don't have to see the whole staircase just to take the first step um and i think that's important you don't have to do the whole everything you can do something to make that change and you know choose what you want to do and do it um and then reflect on it and and do it again Uh, you know habits come from doing you're not going to learn to do cooperative learning if you do it once or twice in a space of a week we all know you know it doesn't work so you've
0: got to do it multiple times I mean I think that leaves us with an absolutely fantastic piece of advice in um, if anybody's looking to adopt a more kind of cooperative learning approach to their own teaching so thanks for that and thanks again for agreeing to do this with us today Ash it's been an absolute pleasure I've taken a lot from it and we're just both really grateful that you've given some of your time up for us today
2: no, I've enjoyed it. I always enjoy it. Um, it's great to talk and what you're doing is really, really good. So, you know, strength to that and, and all the best. And, and, and it sounds cliche at the moment, but, you know, stay safe. Look after yourselves um, and, uh, you know, see you on the other side.
1: Yeah, Thanks for your words, Um Appreciate your time tonight. Um, nice meeting you and hopefully catch up in person the next time.
0: Absolutely. Well, that brings us to another episode of the podcast this week this week we've got um, Dr Ash Casey on talking to us about all things cooperative learning um, so there's a lot of really good actionable nuggets of information in there that have certainly given me a lot of food for thought going back into school sorry not even going back into school going back onto remote learning on Monday um, what were your thoughts on that episode Clark any any key takeaways
1: definitely there's a few, t- a few key takeaways in there um First of all as well just I think that's a good episode getting to bridge the gap between research and practice. Um Ash is obviously very experienced and knowledgeable in, in cooperative learning and other pedagogical models that he, that he spoke about at the start like teaching games for understanding and sport ed and he's done 400 odd blogs so he's someone who's reflected on practice and then practiced implementing it with his students at the university I'm sure as well so we're hoping that we can help to bridge the gap by getting people like Ash on and get them to talk about their, their research and then we can take actionable strategies away from it and experiment. It
0: was good with it. It was good way to say, it, wasn't it? Like he likes a lot of obviously like research journals and that can be extremely overwhelming and um, a lot of jargon and stuff in them trying to break down and understand the key bits from it, but that's what he kinda does in his blogs. He he reads them, interprets them and tries to put them like he said in English. <laughs> um so that people can take take the, the key points from it and try and apply it and and reflect on those articles in relation to their own teaching.
1: Been able to do that? Simplify it. Yeah that's that. simplicity. Um well Mackie take away message would be with regards to the games designed games making that was doing with students at the university where he's asked them to because they're in lockdown is make self made um, materials and try and come up with different skill practices or fun games that you can do within within your own home and just really utilising everything you've got within your disposal. And he was giving them some ideas to start with to get them thinking, and then they had to do it. Was it cooperatively or was it just on their own? Probably on their own. Eh?
0: No, I th- in- I th- no, I I think it was no. I think he said it was going to be a, co- a cooperative task, um, and they had to come up with the, the game rules. As well, so mm-hmm. he, he gave the example about the hockey stick. So they had to they had to come together and create like a one handed hockey stick. Or mm-hmm. I that was that. um if you hadn't done your part in the task, then obviously you wouldn't know what to to speak about.
1: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. That's definitely. So it was that personal that, that interdependence, which leads leads us nicely onto your key takeaway message. I believe
0: I think it would just be to take and expand on what you said there. A, I think it's a really, really excellent idea for a task that we could do during remote learning, especially with um, BGE pupils. It's something you could do, create a PowerPoint um, and get them into to groups. It could be done as a live lesson. It could potentially be done on the, the notebook as well because you can put them into collaborative spaces. So you could put like groups of four on the, in Microsoft Teams, you can do that in the notepad function Mm-hmm. Um, and they could, it's a space where they can collaborate and they could talk about they could create a game um, using household items or like recyclable items like milk jugs um, plastic cups things like that bottles uh, Amazon boxes
1: mm, I like that there's plenty of them coming to my door now uh,
0: exactly so I, I think it's i definitely food for thought for me and I think that's a, a great idea if anybody's struggling for tasks to do that are productive with their um, BGE pupils because it's something that's inclusive and it's making them kind of adapt and um, see that there is a way of keeping active, improving your creativity, and um, ultimately working together and thinking about new ways and
1: how we can mm-hmm. learn. Superb. There's also other stuff in there. Like, I think at the end of a task, you can say what you think to the group and then get their views and what we think as a group, and then go tell them to go back and do another task, and then you're just constantly building and scaffolding it. I quite like that one as well that I've noted. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the other one was like, at the end of the lesson, ask them what happened or what did they learn? So what? What does that mean? And then now what? What's the next steps? So another way that you could structure your questioning towards the end of the lesson. And it just
0: gives you a different way to think about what you're already doing and how you can do it differently and make it that wee bit better. See if it works for you in your context. And I think that also the thing that you spoke about, those kind of main element elements of cooperative learning when he was speaking about that interdependence and the face-to-face interactions and the the group processing so getting those things right is obviously a key principle the key, key principles to for the the model to work because if you don't have that personal interdependence then um people can group members can sit in their group and not give anything back to it they can just let someone do all the work so it's making them accountable for Whatever it is that they're doing, I guess that's maybe if, if I've ever tried to do it before, that's maybe where it's kind of fell down. So it's actually thinking about that, and now when I'm planning it to do it mm-hmm. in the future. So I think that's something that can be taken away from it.
1: Really reflective from you there. You've Absolutely. also seen um, Mr. Muller, was it? We went to a, a CPD.
0: He done that exact gymnastics one, didn't he? Uh,
1: what was it? No, the jigsaw. The jigsaw. jigsaw. Fantastic. Strategy. Yeah. You liked that as well, and loved you, it. You took that in your your school the next day, so that's like an kind of impact. Of that's this. What that's, what's what's that's
0: what. what? That, that's where I got the inspiration to do the the one looking at the the training session.
1: That's right. So hopefully this episode will provide some inspiration for other others, um, same as we had that inspiration on on that on that night. Anyway, that will do. Us, I think for it's a Friday night. Let's go and enjoy the weekend. Yep. Go get my dinner. Remember, if Love. you see us on uh, Twitter, give us a like. Uh, or or, sorry uh, retweet and if you see us on Instagram at a wee bit of everything podcast give us a follow we need to get our followers up the way it works is the more followers we have um, firstly the better we feel about ourselves and then secondly the more the podcast gets out there (laughs) the bigger the reach I hope you're kidding have a good week